relationship, isn't it? Love, that is. All of life and all of love are based on relationship. I believe that, and I've heard Reverend Catherine say that many and many times. Divine love in the relationship between our Mother, Father, God, Jesus the Son and our Savior, and the Holy Spirit our Advocate, and human love from us to the three-in-one God, and love between each of us humans. St. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because God loved us first. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, it is written, For God so loved the world as to give God's only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning's epistle lesson from Hebrews is a powerful illustration of our three-in-one God's love. It represents the love that God had for Jesus, the love Jesus had for God, and the love God has for you and me, as well as God's unselfish ways. What greater love is there than that for one to lay down their life for another? Can you even imagine beginning the, po the possibility that you could love your neighbor as yourself without knowing God and that God loved you? In this morning's gospel story, it seems that neither Jew in our gospel story, Jesus, nor the teacher of the law, who was also known as a scribe, could imagine one kind of love without the other. Neither love for neighbor without love for God, or love for God without love for neighbor. There is a shock factor in the gospel story, which is not obvious at first read and maybe not even second or third read. However, theologians note that a big part of the shock factor comes from the agreement of the scribe with Jesus about the two greatest commandments. You see, throughout Mark's gospel, scribes were always evaluating Jesus' activities, and more so on the critical side. They judged Jesus theologically, charging him with blasphemy because he forgave someone's sins. The scribes evaluated Jesus' eating company, those who he ate with, some Jerusalem scribes claim that Jesus was possessed with Beelzebub, the devil, because of his exercising activities. The scribes questioned Jesus' disciples' hand-washing practices. Along with priests and elders, they probed into the origins of Jesus' authority. They just didn't have any trust or faith in him eventually leading to the religious authorities working with Judas to capture Jesus. And as Christians who've heard the Holy Week scriptures over and over again, we know the rest of the story. Yes, in Mark's final reference, 
It states how scribes mocked Jesus on the cross, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. Ultimately, in Mark's gospel, some of the scribes, along with the other Jewish leaders, were responsible for Jesus' condemnation and death. So the big shock factor comes from the agreement of the scribe with Jesus in our gospel lesson regarding the two great commandments. In both the epistle lesson as well as the gospel lesson, there's an excellent segue from the Old Testament ways to the New Testament ways. The Old Testament animal sacrifices were a representation of the death of Jesus on the cross as is recorded in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God required animal sacrifices because there needed to be a way to demonstrate the severity of sin, the cost of rebellion against God, the death that sin brings, and the cost that must be paid to be redeemed. Those animal sacrifices served as a kind of placeholder while people waited for the true Messiah, the true Messiah to come, and the true sacrifice would be offered. After all, as Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, the blood of animals cannot cleanse human sin. How excellent would Christian Christianity appear to the world if those who profess it were more under the divine law principle and paid due regard to the two great commandments which Jesus offers with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. God calls each of us and all of us as the body of Christ, the church, to search our souls and ask ourselves whether we are wholeheartedly committed to loving God and loving our neighbors all of our neighbors, through our praying, our thoughts, our actions, and our words. God calls us to make sure that we are willing to lay aside selfish objects and goals, to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, as we share God's words of love out in the world to everyone we meet. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, Jesus tells us, it's a call, the title is No Greater Love, and in it he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down their life for the life of their friends. I came across a powerful true story as I was preparing this message. It is a stellar example of Jesus' command to love our neighbor and our family as he loves each of us. It is a story of living out the divine love principle with all of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. The events in this story occurred during the Holocaust of World War II in Germany. Solomon Rosenberg, his wife, and their two sons were arrested together with his mother and father for the crime of being Jews. They were placed in a Nazi concentration camp. It was a labor camp 
and the rules were simple, as long as you can do your work, you are permitted to live. If you became too weak to do your work, then you would die. Rosenberg watched his elderly mother and father being marched off to their death. He knew that David, his youngest son, would be next because David had always been a frail child. Every evening, Rosenthal used to come back into the barracks after long, hard hours of work and search the faces for his family. When he found them, they would huddle together, embracing each other and thanking God for another day of life. One day, Rosenberg came back after his hours of long labor and didn't see those familiar faces. He finally spotted his oldest son, Joshua, in a corner, huddled, weeping, and praying. Joshua spotted his father and turned to him saying, Dad, it is true, David was not strong enough today to do his work, so they came for him. But where is your mother, asked Mr. Rosenberg. Oh, Dad, Joshua said, through tears streaming down his face. When they came for David, he was afraid and he cried. So Mom said, there is nothing to be afraid of, David. And she took his hand and she went with him. This is exactly what Jesus is calling us to commit to as wholeheartedness. Mrs. Rosenberg loved her son David so much that she was willing to sacrifice her love, her life, to comfort her son. It is a love that transcends human logic. It is true, selfless love. A love that is so strong that we would willingly she would willingly sacrifice her life to comfort her child. Love is an act of will, for it was love that took Jesus to the cross. It was love that allowed Jesus to say in Luke 22, verse 42, Thy will be done, as he hung from the Roman cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was that same love for God and neighbor that caused the reformers to go to the stake for translating the Bible into the English vernacular from Latin. In conclusion, don't ever underestimate the power of God's love or your sincere, wholehearted love for your neighbor, as well as your ministry of presence just being there with other people, sitting with them, holding their hand, and listening to them. Don't let anyone trick you into believing that love isn't the answer. Because in God's big book, there is a power beyond human understanding that makes love and a deep commitment to the relationship with God always the answer. Let each of us always remember we are called to love God, to love each other, and to love ourselves as given life by God, engaging every fiber of our being in that loving. Let us continually pray for a deeper appreciation of love 
for a wholehearted attitude to freely give and to freely accept love more fully as we live love for God and neighbor, all neighbors, as Jesus did in a self-giving way. May it be so. Amen.